Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy. And stay safe. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Still with me, columnist at the New Observer, Andre Walker. We'll get his thoughts on my the conversation with my next guest in just a few moments. Delighted to welcome the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Robb, to the show. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. An awful lot to cover, uh, Foreign Secretary. Sure. Let's let's start with the issue of schools. Came up at Prime Minister's questions yesterday uh, between Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson about whether or not it is safe to get schools to open. But 1,600 paediatricians have written to the Prime Minister calling on him to reopen schools, saying they are scarring the life chances of a generation of children. Given that the test and trace system was so crucial for us knowing that it was safe uh, for parents and teachers uh, to you know say, go back into the schools uh, with their kids, um, why have we not got a test and trace system up and running? Running properly? Why have we not got an app that we were promised that should have been in place a month ago? And why have we not got the schools reopened? Well, first of all, we do want to get the schools back in greater numbers. We've already seen that happening safe and stable and sure footed steps, primary schools, but also as of Monday, um, secondary schools and those uh, in the exam years having more face time uh, with their teachers. Um, it's absolutely right. And we are sending a message that. Children coming back to school should be done and can be done securely. And we back that. We want to see it happen. And I wish Keir Starmer and the Labour Party would get off the fence and join with us as a political consensus to do so. On test and trace, we've already got the system up and running. And the tracers have been recruited. They're able to examine the contacts of 10,000 cases every day. The app's important, but it's important to get it right. It's been tested, and it will be, if you like, the cherry on the cake, and it will come up and running and operational when we're absolutely confident that it can have the best impact. But it, but it's not right to say that test and tracing regime is not up and running. It is, and we've got the capacity to test um, uh, the contacts of 10,000 cases every every day. Yeah, but you and I both know that the, the, the app was supposed to be up and running mid-May. should have been up and running much sooner than that. It was going to be world beating. Now it's not going to be around till winter. Uh, big concerns that we are not able to trace. We can't t- trace people we don't know who we've been close to if we have got the virus and or they've got the virus and infected us. And that's why a lot of parents are very concerned. There could be a major spike uh, in uh, in schools and we wouldn't know for a few weeks. Children aren't going to be routinely tested. The Labour Party calling for routine testing of all staff in the NHS and social care sectors. That hasn't even happened yet. So there's been extensive uh, testing for key workers and uh, for staff 
uh, and indeed residents in care homes. Um, but look, the reality with, with all of the incremental measures you take as you come through lockdown is you need to take steady, careful steps. That's why the Prime Minister set out a roadmap on the 11th of May. We're following that carefully. We're monitoring it very carefully. The app, as all the experience of every other country that has had and put in place a test and tracing regime, supplements the tracing mechanism that is done uh, through the traces. Uh, it, it is not the central uh, component. And it's the same with us. And you're right, we're going to have a well-beating app. But we that's precisely why we need to test it and make sure we get it right. Um, but I'd come back to the point. You talked about schools. We are getting more and more children this week, uh, even more, back to school. Um, and it can be done safely. Uh, children can go back safely. Parents should have the confidence to do that. We're working with the teachers and the unions. I think it would be helpful to have uh, Keir Starmer come off the fence on this. He's on, you know, on the fence on Brexit, on the fence on so many things. I think he's got to stand up and take a few positions, or at least, or if not, let the government get on with its job. This fence sitting, I don't think, is uh, is particularly helpful. Let's come back to your particular brief. You've got a, a, sure. a new part of your brief as Foreign Secretary, taking on the international development budget. So 15 billion quid of taxpayers' hard-earned money, 0.7% of GDP. Likely to go down, obviously, next year as GDP falls. Um, but um, why, in taking the, the foreign aid budget into the department, uh, your, your, your department at the Foreign Office, why has there not been a decision to cut that 0.7% of GDP pledge? It was a back-of-the-envelope uh, pledge made at the time. No other country has done it. Why should so much of British taxpayers' money be spent on a lot of these international uh, projects, which often do no good for the ordinary people who really, really need uh, foreign aid help, uh, and, uh, and when no other country is doing it? It's precisely because we value aid, but also value getting a uh, bang for our buck for taxpayers' money that we're bringing in the uh, aid budget and our well-beating development programme into the Foreign Office so it's properly integrated with our foreign policy decision-making. We're proud that we're helping some of the poorest people around the world and uh, we've recently had this situation um, with the Gavi Summit hosted by the PM. We smashed all the records for international uh, fundraising for $8.8 billion for a new vaccine. And I think it's a good example of where we need to integrate foreign policy decision-making with our aid budget, but also where, but yes, we've got a moral interest to help the very poorest and vulnerable in the world, but we want that vaccine for the British people too. So I don't quite accept this artificial dividing line, either between aid and wider foreign policy, or indeed between our moral sense of responsibility and the harder-edged UK national interest. Okay, and, and how important to international diplomacy and Britain's soft power is uh, having a, a plane that's not plain grey in our AF colours, but is actually covered in red, white and blue flags at the cost of £900,000 to the taxpayer. Is that crucial? Look, we have a maintenance budget that for, for all of our aircraft. It's a military um, uh, aircraft, so it, it, it has a whole range of uses. Um, but look, one, and, and we, of course, careful with taxpayers' money. But, but of course, look, we've got um, the French coming over today, uh, President Macron. Uh, and he's coming over to pay a great honour on the people of London for our role in supporting de Gaulle and the French resistance during the war with Churchill. We're proud to have that highest honour that the French can bestow. And actually, do you know what? There's some things we ought to learn from the French. And they walk tall in the world. With the fleet we've got is nothing like the French fleet. Now, of course, taxpayers' money, critically important, no more than we need to project influence and to allow the PM to do his job, including uh, as the... Uh, leading the, the, the charge for global Britain. But I do think that if to have the very best impact in the world, some of these symbols do have a resonance and do matter. And we should be walking tall in the world uh, because it not only is right for projecting our influence, but it 
it, it yields much greater dividends financially in terms of jobs, in terms of investment into this country, which is well worth the investment that we put in. OK, well, you're talking about walking tall in the world, learning lessons from the French. Why don't we learn a few more lessons from the French and start being a there bit more go. proud of our history and proud of our culture? Emmanuel Macron made it very clear in address to the nation a few days ago that they would not be taking down statues. They would not be rewriting and whitewashing their past. We saw the horrific sight of Winston Churchill statue being boarded up because the police apparently seem to be incapable of protecting it uh, from violent protesters for Black Lives Matter. Um, We've we, we seen it. OK, it's been uncovered for Macron's visit uh, today. When we now know that Cecil Rhodes' statue is going to be taken down at Oriel College in Cambridge, we, we, we've seen all of this Edward Colston statue ripped down. When is this government going to stand up for British culture, British history, British values and end this cancel culture that you know and I know the vast majority of British people do not stand by? Well, so first of all, in relation to the boarding up of Churchill, the Prime Minister was absolutely clear. It's ridiculous. Um, but that was the authority of the GLA, the London Assembly. And the PM had made very clear, particularly at a moment where President Macron is coming over to pay tribute to the cooperation that de Gaulle got in France's darkest hour from Churchill, that we should be proud of that. And more generally, I think we shouldn't airbrush our history in relation to uh, the Rhodes statue or Norwell College. I think it's right there's a lawful and democratic process for deciding what goes where. I can give you one illustration in the Foreign Office. There's all sorts of uh, murials, statues that people will question. I think we should have a debate about our history. We will talk about the Clive statue, that's for English heritage to discuss. But rather than airbrushing our history, I think the approach the Prime Minister takes and the approach that we take and I take in the Foreign Office is I look at the courtyard in the FCO. We've got spaces where we haven't put statues or monuments up. So actually, let's update that and make sure that, yes, it reflects the values and the symbols and the icons of the modern age. And do you know what? That's something that the Prime Minister and I have been talking about well before this crisis. So, yes, update and, and revisit our history, but don't airbrush it. So you don't think that the Oriel College, uh, Oxford, should take down the statue of Cecil Rhodes? Well, it's ultimately for them to decide. And there's Your a whole opinion. Complicated. Look, I think more generally, um, I can understand actually why people, particularly young people, particularly BAME, uh, members of the BAME community, look at this and think, do you know what? That doesn't reflect my values. Why, I should, think the... why, why should a statue put up 100 years ago reflect the values of today? Well, I think when we put a statue up, we're symbolising um, all sorts of things, but particularly things that we're proud of. And you think of uh, the two sides of the coin with Rhodes. Um, but, but my point is, yes, let's have that debate. Let's do it lawfully and properly. But let's, rather than airbrushing difficult bits of our history, let's update it and refresh it, which is why, for example, in the Foreign Office and more generally, let's put up the statues and erect the statues to those who reflect the, the modern values. The, the, the challenge really here is, is we can, if we start airbrushing different generation's view of history it's exactly what the next generation will do to us i'm sure whatever we do however uh, progressive we strive to be and this generation strives to be 20 30 years time our children our grandchildren look back and think well some of that was uh, somewhere between quirky or just something that doesn't reflect their values but respect for history requires a little bit of empathy with the debate uh, at, at that time, at that point in history. And I think it's a mistake to lose sight of that. Just after watching the football last night, um, would you take a knee if you were asked to? 
Do you know what? I, I, I understand um, this sense of frustration and restlessness, which is driving the Black Lives Matters movement. I've got to say on this taking the knee thing, which I don't know, maybe it's got a broader history, but it seems to be taken from the Game of Thrones. It feels to me like a symbol of subjugation, subordination, rather than one of liberation and emancipation. Uh, but I understand people feel differently about it. So it's a matter of personal choice. So would you or wouldn't you do it? Take the knee for two people, the Queen and, and the Mrs. when I asked her to marry me. <laughs> just finally, I must let's talk about the future just very briefly. Brexit, uh, Manuel Macron. She, by so... the way, she she disputes that. I had this conversation <laughs> last night. I'm sure I did, but we'd obviously had too much champagne at the time. But I'm, I'm certain I did. <laughs> we'll check with her next time we speak to her. Um, Emmanuel Macron, as you mentioned here in the UK, uh, for uh, very different reasons, but no doubt there'll be a little bit of chit chat about the issue of Brexit. It was made very clear last week and earlier this week there will be no extension to transition. You've been a staunch Brexiteer for many years, resigned as Brexit secretary over the issue. Um, how confident are you? Give us a percentage that we are going to get some sort of European Union free trade deal by December the 31st. Give us a percentage chance. Well, do you know what? We've seen all sorts of political and economic forecasts. I'm not going to go down that blind alley. What I would say is it's great the French are coming over here. I'm proud that President Macron is going to be lighting up the Eiffel Tower with Union Jack. Uh, he's coming here to bestow the Légion d'honneur, the highest French award on the people of London for our role and the British people's role in supporting de Gaulle and the French resistance in their time of need. I think what it shows you is that we've bickered throughout our history with our French neighbours and friends, but we stand shoulder to shoulder uh, when it really matters. And I think the relationship between the Prime Minister and President Macron is close and very important. Mine with Jean-Yves Le Drian, the foreign minister, is. And there's a whole range of things on Brexit, but also COVID cooperation, um, Hong Kong, where we just put out yeah. a G7 statement. Well, we work really closely. I think the significance of this visit is that even as we leave the EU, we've got this opportunity to be even better allies, partners and friends with our closest European partners. And this is a good example of that. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's turn our attention now uh, to Jonathan Ashworth, Shadow Health Secretary, who joins us. Good morning to you. 
Good morning. Good morning. Now, obviously, a big concern about getting the schools back and the test and trace and all of that. But uh, today, the Labour Party is calling for, well, more efforts to make sure we have minimised transmission among NHS and social care staff. You want the routine testing of all staff in the NHS and social care sectors. How's that going to work? Well, we do because we know around 20% of COVID infections in hospital come from within the hospital and there is now evidence that shows if you test all NHS staff, whether they've got symptoms or not on a regular basis, that you actually reduce spread of COVID uh, in hospital settings. So we want to do that. A lot of health organisations are also calling for it now. We've always tried to put forward practical suggestions to the government throughout this crisis. This is one of the ones we're putting forward today. We think it would mean around 100,000 tests a day. Well, we're now at a capacity of uh, uh, over 200,000, but we're, we're not actually using all of that capacity anyway. So we think it can be done. Um, we think it's a practical solution or a practical suggestion, and we hope the government take us up on it. Well, indeed, we were, we were promised quite some time ago, pretty early on in lockdown, that there would be regular testing of critical key workers, and it hasn't repair, appear, appeared or materialised. And we were also told, weren't we, that the test and trace system would be up and running back in May. Now we're told it's not until winter, and uh, well, it's a low priority now. Are you concerned about that? Because the whole point of this test and trace and, and you know, is you'll be able to trace people down once you've tested people and found out that they were uh, at risk, uh, these are absolutely crucial systems for getting us out of lockdown. Are you concerned that the government's lost its grip? Well, I mean, it does look like the government have been slow and have mishandled huge parts of this uh, uh, response to uh, coronavirus, haven't they? I mean, and you know, we were promised a world-beating test and tracing system by now, and the people running it are saying, oh, we're not going to be able to get it fully functional up until September. Uh, given that we know testing and tracing is absolutely key to the safe easing of this lockdown, we really do need it expanded uh, 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 so- sooner. We need the local experts, the local GPs, the local council, local public health service experts running this. They're still not getting a lot of the test data, you know. If you go and get a test at one of these drive through centres, say a football ground, a Man City football ground or something like that, and that, that test doesn't go to your local GP at the moment. It doesn't go to the local public health services at the moment. So there's all these... There's all these problems in the system which they've still not ironed out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are concerned about this because we know that this is going to be crucial for us to know that we're safe to you know, send our children back to school to, to you know, go out to pubs and reopen them. Breweries and pub chains have demanded to know by tomorrow when they can reopen. Still big issues about, uh, about you know, hotels and B&Bs opening over the summer. How much do you expect the lockdown to be eased in the coming weeks? Well, I think we'll continue to see restrictions gradually eased. I mean, the government needs to reassure us all that in doing so, they're not going to precipitate a second wave. I asked Matt Hancock about this in the House of Commons just yesterday, in fact, uh, because look, no, nobody wants to stay in lockdown forever. I mean, it's it's, it's some people mis- appear to. <laughs> well, it's a pretty the, poll, the polls show an awful lot of people who's uh, who who are you know happy in their homes with their kids getting uh, online lessons are quite happy to stay at home. Well, I think there's a lot of people who want to see society to get back to normal, but it can only be done if it's safe. We, can't, we I mean, the, the, the disastrous thing would be to if the government eased lockdown and then we have a second wave. I mean, we've already got one of the highest death rates in the world, haven't we? Uh, so we have to proceed with caution. 
We need the testing in place. We need the tracing in place. We need to, and, and as we're going about, out and about, we ne- all need to be following the social distancing rules as well. I know it's difficult. You know, sometimes people walk into your personal space and you, you know, but you've got to, you've got to follow these rules as best you can. Um, I mean, you say, you know, we've got to be, you know, get easing back in. Uh, the questions, uh, Prime Minister's questions ended up being turned back on your party leader, Keir Starmer, about whether or not the schools were safe or not to go back. We've seen look, a lot, no question at all, a lot of problems from the government in terms of the, the demands they've made on on, uh, on on schools and and the two meter social distancing and all of that makes it really hard to get a lot of schools back uh, fully. But um, there's been a massive issue with the teaching unions as well. Is it time for the Labour Party to tell the teaching unions they've got to start working with head teachers and with the government and get kids back to school? Well, we want the schools uh, when the schools have been open, of course. For- children of key workers but we, want, of kids. but we want our children back in school because we know it's so so important not just for their education but for their health as well and boris johnson sort of shouting and jabbing his finger at kirst armor he should be shouting and jabbing his finger at this guy gavin williamson who's proven to be the most hopeless education secretary in history i think i mean the, the government have failed to put in place the measures to make our schools safe and get our kids back in they should be sitting down with everybody, parents, teachers groups, uh, governors, governing bodies groups to, to make sure that they've got a plan. But they haven't. He's been sort of, you know, where is this guy, Gavin Williamson? I've never known such a poor education secretary. Um, and um, in terms of uh, the likelihood of, you know, breweries and pubs opening, getting crowds back at football matches last night's two big matches played without anyone in the crowd. How soon do you think that would happen? Would you support the government uh, bringing those sort of, you know, that sort of freedom back? Uh, what, what pubs or crowds going or, to football matches? Any or all of the above. I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, I think we're some way off over allowing mass gatherings so a lot of countries in europe who have who are also easing restrictions have also said mass gatherings are highly unlikely for some time so i'm afraid i think it's going to be a while yet before we can go and watch um uh, go and watch a football match um you know pubs and restaurants and so on uh, uh they obviously need to have clarity on the two meter rule they need clarity on what on you know the rules around sort of beer gardens and sitting outside, um, uh, all these things, uh, uh, if they can be done in a safe way, then obviously we want to see them. But we all, we all, at all times we need the, the science, the scientists, the medical advisors to give us the evidence and give us the reassurance. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Well, let's uh, turn our attention overseas now. Uh, we mentioned China in our conversation about Donald Trump, but uh, China has uh, closed down uh, travel and schools in Beijing after more COVID cases uh, in the capital city. So what's going on there? Professor Stephen Sang is director of the SOAS China Institute. Good morning to you, Steve. Good morning. Uh, big concerns uh, about uh, Beijing. It's not in full lockdown, uh, not quite yet, but there is a big concern after was it another 21 locally transmitted uh, cases of COVID, bringing the total to a, lot, a big cluster of 158 new cases, uh, that the, the virus is once again going through China. Yes, I'm afraid that it is happening. I think the uh, reactions by the government in Beijing is particularly strong because it is happening in Beijing. And for the Chinese government, Beijing is a very special place where COVID is not supposed to 
uh, re-emerge. Yeah, I mean, Beijing did pretty well. I mean, during during the, the earlier pandemic, Wuhan completely shut down, uh, and 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 Beijing, you know, other than having to the 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 Chinese New Year celebrations uh, ended, it, Beijing you know, didn't go through the same sort of full lockdown, did it? But now we know lots of neighbourhoods, schools have been closed, uh, a huge number of flights, particularly domestic flights, cancelled. Um, there's always been this concern about a second wave and that we just kind of, we'll come out of lockdown and we just start all over again. Um, The trouble is, of course, we don't get full information. We don't get accurate, honest information from China, do we? So it's difficult to know what is going on and the extent of the problem. I think that is absolutely correct. Um, We know what the Chinese government would like us to know and we are not allowed to have independent investigations into what in fact happened. So in the case of Beijing, the official narrative is suggesting that the virus this time comes from a mutated form imported from outside of China, that there is not a, if you like, domestic transmission in the first instance. Yes, indeed. Well, let's turn our attention to other issues with China. I mean, there are so many. Hong Kong, what's going on with the Rohingya Indians, uh, Rohingya Muslims as well in concentration camps and all this issue with Donald Trump apparently giving the OK to this. Um, But also we've seen that this week clashes on the Chinese-Indian border. It's a disputed border. We we know the death toll on the Indian side uh, in the the, uh, well over, you know, the dozens. Uh, We don't know on the the Chinese side. But um, a lot of us looking on bemused from this country who are experts as you are. What's that clash about? Well, I think the clash is a local uh, event that that went out of control. I really haven't seen any evidence to suggest that the Chinese government was deliberately provoking a border incident with India. The problem there really was that they have decided to uh, send reinforcements to the disputed region. Uh, that is not something particularly recent. They've been doing it for a while. And they are taking a very strident nationalistic approach there. You have a somewhat similar approach taken by the government led by Prime Minister Modi in India. So you have two bunch of very hot-headed young people armed with clubs facing off each other in yeah. close proximity. And then things just got out of hand. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.